Awesome. We're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see doubt, desperation, and deliverance. Let's take a look at verse 14 through 16 of Mark chapter 9. It says, And when Jesus came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? So I'm going to pause it there because we want a little bit of context. Anytime we jump into the middle of a chapter, we want to know what's happening. So what we looked at last week was the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Who was here with us last week? Really awesome section of scripture. If you're unfamiliar with what the transfiguration is, what it was was essentially Jesus revealing himself to Peter, James, and John as the absolute deified God the Son. He was saying, this is who I am. This is who I will always be. And I'm revealing this to you. And it fulfilled his promise from uh, chapter 9, verse 1, that some there would not taste death before they saw the kingdom of God and glory in presence. And they saw that before their eyes, and it was this awesome scene. You remember Elijah and Moses were there with Jesus, and Peter's just running his mouth about who knows what, right? And God had to interrupt and be like, don't listen to Peter, listen to Jesus, right? And it was just this cool scene, but remember what Peter really wanted to do? <laughs> Peter says, I want to stay up on the mountaintop with Jesus. Let's, let's just build these tabernacles. Let's have a feast of tabernacles like Zechariah 14 calls us to do when the kingdom of God comes into fullness. Let's hang out up here forever. Jesus, we don't have to go down the mountain. You don't have to go suffer. Let's just establish the kingdom now. And they're probably thinking, that's great for us because we're here. We're going to rule with you, Jesus. This is great. <laughs> and obviously Jesus says, hey, no. <laughs> the Son of Man, he's going to tell them again. He reminds them over and over, the Son of Man must go and die for the sins of the world. See, if Jesus establishes his kingdom before he dies for sins, no one else is going in. We need to understand that everyone that has ever been born falls short of the glory of God. That everyone who has been born cannot enter into the sight of God for judgment apart from Jesus Christ and enter his kingdom. You need the righteousness and the completed work of Jesus Christ. Amen? And see, he's showing them, though, you can believe my words. Look at who I am. I am God the Son. But it's no wonder they want to stay up at the mountaintop because we see here in verse 14 that Peter, James, and John come down with Jesus. Luke 9.37 tells us that it was the next day after the transfiguration. And they come down and what do they find? The rest of the disciples surrounded by a chaotic group of multitude and then scribes. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you kind of can't stand the scribes. <laughs> The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians to some extent, all these guys were all like in politically minded trying to always gain power for themselves. And see, the scribes, their job, their intention of their job was to learn the word of God so that they could give it out to the people of God and help them walk in righteousness. That's a good thing if they would have done their job correctly. The problem was they were taking scripture and the scribes were like lawyers. They would study the law. They'd find all these ways. They'd find loopholes. They would be able to exalt themselves, but absolutely put burdens on everyone else around them. And so the scribes were always fighting with Jesus because Jesus shows up and Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of all these things. What does that mean to the scribes? You have to serve me as Lord. You have to bow to me and acknowledge me that I am the one sent by God. But they didn't like that because Jesus did things like cleanse the temple. <laughs> Chase out the money changers. 
Tell them that you need to repent. Guys like the scribes thought, we know everything that's in the Bible. We don't need to repent. It's those stinky fishermen and tax collectors like the guys that follow Jesus that need to repent, not us. And see, when Jesus handpicked these guys, guys like Peter, James, and John, and Matthew, and Simon the Zealot, right? He picks these people and he says, come after me. Well, they didn't have these, like, like we, would, we would compare it to like degrees. They didn't have the pedigree. They didn't have the prestige. And everyone else looking around said, this is weird. We don't like this. Why didn't he pick us? There's probably a jealousy thing there. It's probably an anger thing. They're always looking to argue against Jesus, even when he does great things. <laughs> and see what they're doing here. They're arguing with the disciples. And we're going to find out in a little bit. <laughs> there was some failure on the disciples' part to be able to cast out a demon out of a young man. I believe the scribes are taking anything they can to use as ammunition to say, see, Jesus isn't really who he says he is. His disciples can't even do the things that he says they should be able to do. And think about that. <laughs> you step out to do the things of God and you bomb out. <laughs> and then you have these holy, righteous, you know, holier-than-thou guys coming up. And they're like, oh, you're a bunch of failures. Look at how bad you are. Jesus comes down the mountain from this glorious moment with Peter, James, and John into arguments, into just absolute chaos. I think it's, it's like no wonder why they wanted to stay on the mountaintop. <laughs> How many of us are excited to go argue with people that are like holier-than-thou people and people that want to accuse us of falling short? We don't want any part of that, right? Well, sometimes it comes. It happens. And see, when they get down there, it says in verse 15, again in this section, it says the people, they, they saw Jesus and they were greatly amazed. The word for greatly amazed is exombeo in the Greek. What this means is they had great joy because Jesus suddenly arrived. They weren't there the day before. They came into town this day. Jesus comes down the mountain the day after his, or his um, transfiguration. And when he comes down there, they're like, wow, Jesus is here. This is cool. You know why? Because Jesus is like a magician. <laughs> Jesus is like a circus show. <laughs> Jesus will do anything I ask him to do. Whatever I want, he'll do it. That's the reputation I heard. You see, the same kind of thing happens today. <laughs> We've said this over and over, and I have to say it again just to put it out there. Everyone wants a Savior, but no one wants a Lord. <laughs> People go, I want Jesus the miracle worker, but I don't want Jesus the suffering Messiah that's going to die for sins, and I have to identify that I'm a sinner. I just want that like friendly Jesus, the, 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 the granting wishes Jesus, who's a genie. I want that one. And see, when he comes down, the people are greatly amazed, but see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were so jealous that Jesus had people that would follow him, even if it was for insincere reasons. See, they're like, oh man, this is exactly why we don't like Jesus. Look at the people. They're excited when he shows up. They're excited when he's here. And even if they were sincere in their excitement for Jesus being there, oh man, that would make these guys so angry. They said, we've been here for years following the traditions of our fathers. This guy shows up for three years? And he's just teaching these things that fly in the face of our traditions. You can see why they're angry, right? You can see why this is all, like, why they're so frustrated about everything that Jesus is doing. But I love how Jesus walks up in verse 16. He says, what are you discussing with them? He says that he talked to the scribes. I think that's awesome. <laughs> Have you ever been in a battle <laughs> and you're like, man, I don't even, I've just bombed out. I'm like a disciple. I've bombed out in the thing I was supposed to do and people are accusing me. And then who's our defender? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up and says, dude, all right, I kind of don't, I don't, maybe he's like, I didn't expect anything other right now than from my disciples. But listen, scribes, they're mine. They belong to me. 
I think that's a great encouragement to anyone that feels like, man, I bombed out back here. Jesus is done with me. <laughs> Can I tell you, Jesus is still your defender if you trust in him, amen? And see, as he shows up, he says, what are you guys discussing here? And it, I think it's great because Jesus wasn't some like scaredy cat. Jesus says, I'm going to come and show up to those people that are, that are fighting against my disciples. And I'm going to come and engage with them directly. I'm not going like, to like bow to these, these, these leaders. I'm not going to bow to these things. And he shows up and says, what are you talking about? Because he knows, right? The scribes are always off base. <laughs> They've perverted everything that seems that's in the scriptures. Think of how many times Jesus has hit them with that famous response, right? He says, have you not read? <laughs> These guys, all they did was read, by the way. <laughs> Jesus, it just, it's, like, it's, it's kind of like, like an insult of sorts. Like, man, how did you guys read so much but get nothing in your heart? <laughs> but see, Jesus didn't just go around like making people feel dumb for not getting it. See, what he would do, he'd do things like, I believe it's in um, Matthew 9, 13. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He referenced Hosea 6, 6. He says, you don't get it, but I'm not just going to leave you there. I even desire that the scribes would come and understand and know the heart of God. This is what I think Rex was talking about a little bit earlier. Our desire is not just to argue with people that are stubborn and twisting the word of God. It's to, yes, tell them that, hey, you don't get what this says, but let me guide you into truth. It's no good if we just stay divided. We need to get people to come to Jesus. Amen? We're not in the business of winning arguments. We're in the business of winning souls. <laughs> now, let me be clear. When guys like the scribes didn't want the truth, it didn't change the fact that Jesus says, well, it's still true. See, this world thinks, well, no, if I don't abide by it, then it's not truth. Incorrect. Truth is truth. There is absolute truth, and it's from the Word of God. <laughs> and so when Jesus shows up, he says, I know you guys are already messed up, so let me guess. You're arguing about something that doesn't matter, that you're messed up on. You're accusing my people of being wrong. <laughs> and see, in this case here, it reminds me of 1 Peter 3.15. It tells us that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. Man, are we loaded up with the Word of God, with the Holy Spirit, ready to answer those who do not know the truth? <laughs> For those that oppose the truth, and again, with the desire that they would come and actually understand and submit to the truth. And see, every Sunday when we're here working through Scripture, part of the plan, part of the reason we do this is to equip the saints to equip you, that you would be ready for those good works that God has prepared for you to walk in, as Ephesians 2.10 says. We're here to equip you that you would get so familiar with the Word of God that you would also draw in closer to that relationship with God, that you would know Jesus more personally with every single time you open the Word because the, living, the Word of God is living and powerful. Amen? So we gather and people go, that's so weird. You're opening up a book that was closed 2,000 years ago to some extent. You can't do this with like Harry Potter, right? <laughs> you can't go do this with some fiction book, but you open up the living, breathing Word of God and it hits everyone in this room in a way that we can't explain outside of the fact that this is God's Word. This is why it's important. Jesus says, again, my desire is to get people to hear it, to know it, and to come into it. Look what happens in verse 17 and 8. I'm sorry, 17 through 19. It says, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son 
who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And so now we get that deeper context of what were these guys probably arguing about. This is what I'm saying. The scribes probably saw Jesus' disciples fail at casting out this boy, uh, the demon out of this boy. And they're like, see, if his disciples are lame, that means that he is lame. And that means we don't have to submit to his word. Have you ever heard someone cop out for why they don't want to get in a relationship with Jesus? They point at the church. They point at others. They're like, oh, man, I know this guy that says he's a Christian. He's terrible. So therefore, Jesus is terrible. I've told you guys, right? That's like, that's like saying, I know one bad school teacher, therefore every school teacher is wicked and terrible. I know one crooked police officer, therefore every police officer is bad. We can't be making blanket statements like that, especially about the righteous one, God. <laughs> How much more offensive is that when we talk about God that way? And see, in this case here, they, they're, they're, they're arguing with them. And it says that this man speaks up, one of the crowd. And he calls Jesus teacher. He says teacher. So that's, that's, a, that's a good title. It's not all the way in, but it's a good, it's a good title. It's saying, hey, I've, I've heard your teaching. I think there's some truth in here. He says, and I brought uh, my, my son. He says, I brought my son to you. We're told it's his only son in Luke 9, 38. And he says he has a mute spirit. And he basically explains that when this spirit takes hold of him, it comes upon him, makes the boy mute, first of all, so he can't speak. It seizes him, leaving him writhing in pain. And as I read all the different commentators on this, because I'm not a doctor, Luke was, which is kind of cool. So Luke's writing the Gospel of Luke, and he's commenting on like physical things sometimes, and he uses terms that like maybe the tax collector Matthew doesn't use, right? Or Mark, who's getting words from a fisherman like Peter doesn't use. Luke kind of uses the terminology that seems to say that this is almost like, again, I have to be careful here, because hear me out. It seems like the seizures that we would see, okay, that are similar to that we see in like epileptics, right? People that suffer from epilepsy. And so it doesn't mean, this has to be clear, every commentator I read noted this, don't think that anyone that's suffering from epilepsy is now demon-possessed. That sounds crazy, right? But sometimes people do things like that. You must have done something wrong. Your parents must have done something wrong. This is a sinful issue. This is a spiritual issue. Now, sometimes there's a physical issue that's there. Can I tell you whether it's a spiritual issue or a physical issue? Can I tell you that Jesus is capable of healing? <laughs> and now again, it may look like healing in eternity, right? That we may not know it on this side of eternity, but Jesus says, right? Uh, he, he told, I believe he told Paul in Corinthians, he told him, my grace is sufficient for you. You have this thorn in the flesh, he would say to Paul, but I'm going to leave it there that you would rely upon me. See, Paul says, I boast in my infirmities, that the excellence of the power may be of Christ, right? That, that as I suffer, that he would be glorified. But we also have account after account of Jesus healing physical things. I could go around the room, and we could probably have a split room of people who said, I prayed for healing physically, and I got it. And I have other people who said, I prayed for healing, and I didn't get it. That doesn't change that God is good. As we trust in his promises, can I tell you, healing is coming no matter what in eternity as you trust in Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, though, it's being expressed just so you can get a visual. This, this child can't speak. He's shaking. He's on the ground. He's foaming. This is terrifying to read as a father, by the way. You read this, and you're like, man, this just breaks your heart. <laughs> but no matter what, we need to run to Jesus for, to, to be delivered of that suffering and be delivered eventually from that. And it says here that, 
he came to his disciples expecting that they should be able to heal his son. And you say, well, that's kind of like, like presumptuous, right? But remember in Mark 6, 7, Jesus had given his disciples power over unclean spirits. And see, Luke 9, verses 1 to 2, said the reason they'd be able to do this is so that they could validate the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this man says, hey, I've heard about Jesus. Jesus isn't here right now, but his disciples are here. Remember, Jesus was up on the mountain when this guy first showed up. He says, hey, you're his people, right? Let me bring this suffering son of mine to you. And I, I have some kind of belief that you guys, in the name of Jesus, can heal him. And I think about the church sometimes. <laughs> We proclaim things like, man, Jesus is the solution. He's the one that can heal you. He can give you new life, right? But then the church who has that message is kind of fearful to step out on that truth. We're like, well, no, we believe it, but like we, we I don't know, we're hesitant to actually do it. He says he brought his boy to the disciples. He said, you guys should be able to do this, but they were unable to do so. <laughs> Now, again, was that Jesus' fault that they were unable to do it? We're going to see. Jesus says, hey, bring him to me. <laughs> Jesus is creating the expectation that, man, it is, in this case, God's will to heal, and I am willing to do it. Bring the child directly to me. That's kind of sad because it means that the disciples should have been able to do this because God was willing in Jesus' name. But see, when it talks about this idea, it says in verse 19, O faithless generation... How long shall I be with you and how long shall I bear with you? Jesus uses this word for generation. It's genea. It doesn't literally mean like connected by like family bloodline generation. This is a group of people that seem to have something consistent in their traits or character. What he's saying is, man, he hears about this. <laughs> Remember, comes down the mountain. Glorious situation happening up there. Just awesome. Comes down. His disciples have failed to do the things that Jesus has called them to do. And this man, it sounds like... I don't know, probably resentful and bitter a little bit, right? He's like, I brought your disciples. They wouldn't do it. And Jesus says, faithless generation. We're like, well, who's he talking about? <laughs> you see, again, that term, it means a group of people with similar attributes or traits or character. I believe, first of all, the scribes are present. <laughs> Those guys are faithless. They don't believe in Jesus for who he is. We have a father who in a little bit is going to express the fact he has some faith, but he still has doubt. So there's some faithlessness there. But this also includes Jesus' own disciples. <laughs> he says, you guys, you should have known how to do this. I've, I've given you the power. I've given you, my, I've given you everything you need. My word, the equipping, I've furnished you with the power to go out and do these things. And see, that exousia power that Jesus gave him, it's like, man, I don't have to be there. You can go in my name and do this. Now, we have the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit, which, again, is that empowerment to take us out to do those things for the Lord as He leads us. Now, does it always look like healing and whatnot? No. But can I tell you? Sometimes it is. <laughs> but I'll tell you what it definitely does. The Holy Spirit in us, as we abide in it, walk in it, believe in it, can I tell you what it does? It makes us obey the things of the Lord. <laughs> when you yield to the Spirit, oh, man, you become radiant, shiny, and bright to glorify the Lord in all that you do. Amen? And see, I think it was Pastor Chuck said this years ago. I don't know if he got it from someone else, but I heard him say it. We all just steal from each other, it turns out, right? So Pastor Chuck once said, I don't care how high the Spirit makes you jump. I care about how straight the Spirit makes you walk when you land. 
right? We can get all worked up and try to get the Spirit moving, but if you have no obedience in your life, no dependency on Christ, no reliance upon His Word and obedience to His Word, let me be clear, you're not saved by your obedience, but when you stop walking in obedience, there's some faithlessness that's coming into you. It's you believe that your, your power is what you're relying upon. Your will be done. But when we see this moment here, Jesus says, I was willing to do this. Why didn't you step out in faith and do this? <laughs> and we think about the state of the world around us right now. <laughs> do they need Jesus? Yes. Everybody needs Jesus Christ. We were made in the image of God. We need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you know you were created to be filled with the Spirit of God? Do you realize that when you're not filled with the Spirit of God, you're just miserable? <laughs> Think about it before you came to Jesus. Do you remember the depression, the oppression, the, the suffering in your life? And you couldn't put, you, you couldn't put your finger on it. You chase everything. <laughs> but then you come into Christ. That sin, that shame gets taken off your shoulders because of the completed work of Jesus and through the power of His resurrection, He fills you with His Spirit to use you for His glory. And if the world doesn't know this message, can I tell you why that is? It's because the church has failed to take it to them. Do you expect the lost to tell the lost, the blind to tell the blind? I think it's interesting. In Scripture, it says the blind can lead the blind. You know what happens? <laughs> they both fall in a pit. <laughs> so don't think they can't. We should be leading the blind. We need to, as Jesus said, come to the scribes and say, have you not read? Go and learn. <laughs> This is what our hope is, that Jesus is the answer for every man, for every woman, no matter their sin. The call is to repent and believe in the gospel. Amen? And see, in this case, what's happening here, he says, again, bring him to me. I love that Jesus is still willing to work even when his people bomb out. If it was dependent on us, nothing would be happening today. Like this church, I'm talking about this building, this church. If it was dependent on my, my ability, my strength, my faith, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> the people that are running ministries this morning, serving in ministries, if it was dependent upon them, it wouldn't be happening. <laughs> We've all bombed out before. But the Lord says, man, I'm faithful to still bring you back in and do the work I promised to do. Man, it's time to stop licking our wounds when we fell short. Again, repent. <laughs> there's, a, there's a place for being remorseful for your sins. But can I tell you, if you just stay remorseful and never step into like that newness of life that the Lord says, I have more for you to do over here, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on the things the Lord has created you for. But here he's going to show the disciples, hey, I have a desire to do this. So look at the desperation that happens here. Look at verse 20 through 24. It says, Then they brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, man, Does that, that, that statement should break everyone's heart in here, right? We've all been here before. <laughs> Can I tell you, just generally speaking, I will have some faith sometimes, but it's always, it's coupled with this unbelief at the same time. <laughs> I'm like, I believe, the, I think back when we came and planted this church, I know the Lord has called us to McKinney to plant a church. But can I tell you the unbelief that sometimes set in when it was like, man, nothing's happening. 
Well, I, I, know, I know I'm called. I have faith in the fact that this is it, but I'm kind of like wrestling with the idea that this looks nothing like what I expected it to be. And see, in this section, what it says here, again, in verse, in verse 20, when the boy shows up and sees Jesus, we see the desperate attempts of the spirit in him, this demonic spirit, shake him to attempt to almost destroy him. One last effort of this satanic, demonic spirit to destroy this child made in the image of God. It's so interesting. The minute that the boy shows up and sees Jesus, this thing goes crazy in him. When you came to the Lord, I don't know how it worked for you, but I know I've heard this many times. I think I've experienced this to some extent. When I used to sit in the room and a gospel message was given and an altar call was given, you know what happened? <laughs> Just my heart was going nuts. Oh my gosh, I know I need to do this, but I can't. I don't, I don't want to, and I'm wrestling through it. And I'm not saying it was possession. <laughs> I don't know, it's pretty wicked. But you know what I mean? Definitely oppression was there. Saying, don't do that. Don't go to Jesus. He'll deliver you. You better not do it. You, you, he, you, you're not worthy of this. Don't partake. Can I tell you, that happens this morning to you that's evidence that the lord desires to heal you of your sin when your heart begins to bang against your rib chest your rib cage and all of it and you're going what is this this is just some weirdo in a hawaiian shirt talking from a book that's two thousand years old no this is the spirit of the lord working through the power of his word and you need to submit and surrender to it today this is the very thing you were created for, and Jesus is so good to heal, to deliver. And this thing is trying to fight against him. To it, the Father says, yeah, this thing comes, and it tries to throw him into fire. It tries to throw him into water to drown him. And see, this reminds me of like a couple different things. I think of the demoniac. Remember when Jesus shows up, and people are like, this guy, man, we try to cage him, or like chain him up in the cemetery, and he's breaking chains, he's cutting himself with stones. It was a sick scene. Who was doing that? The demon in him. The demon was trying to destroy the man that was made in the image of God. We know that was the demon's mission because the minute Jesus sends them that, those demons, the, the, the thousands of them, out to the pigs, what happens to the pigs? Immediately drowned and destroyed. Man is made higher than animal. There's an image of God. There is a strength there just being made in the image of God that a demon just can't completely overtake you immediately in the sense of destroying you. But when it moves into an animal, you quickly see the mission of a demon. Does that make sense? Their desire is to destroy. You think about that demoniac. You think about just all the different scenes that we see throughout Scripture. The demoniac, the pigs... See, Satan's desire, he'll play you like, oh, dude, you submit to me. You may not even know you're submitting to Satan, by the way. <laughs> Jesus will go on to say later in this chapter, we won't hit it today, but you're either with me or you're against me, right? You're either on my side or you're not. And that means even if you're not consciously, if you haven't committed to Jesus and you're not consciously with Satan, you're on the wrong side, though. You haven't committed to Jesus Christ. And see, there's a battle here. This, Satan wants to destroy you. You say, why? I'm not that important. You're made in the image of the God who is going to judge and destroy him. We understand that, right? God wins. We say this all the time. Jesus wins. Satan knows it. And so he's trying to take as many out as he can. But the stronger one is here to bind the strong man and take back out of his grasp those things that he thinks belong to him. And Jesus is here at this scene and there's this thing happening where the demon's trying to destroy this child and this anguished father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Isn't there an element of faith and doubt in that, st in that statement? <laughs> if, maybe, you're able to do anything, some doubt. 
Will you please have compassion on us? I'm here talking to you, Jesus. I believe that you might be able to. See, this is doubt and faith kind of mixed together here. And I love how Jesus responds to him. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, let me be clear. I have to clarify this statement because you've got prosperity gospel out there, right? You have people that call on the name of Jesus for all kinds of wicked, terrible things that Jesus never called them to be calling on. You have good people calling on Jesus in confusion for things he never called them to call him for. And see, in this section, what we're talking about, it does not assume that God must bow to our demands and desires. What it says is that God is able to do anything because he's omnipotent. <laughs> That's very different. See, if I start praying in the name of Jesus according to the will of God, I know that God will do what is in his will. Fact, no matter how big and hard it is, <laughs> the Lord is able. Amen? But now if I start praying to God, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're powerful. Now give me my mansion. Give me my race car. Give me good health. Give everyone around me blessing. Just do that, Lord, because that's what I want. Can I tell you, that's, first of all, it's a contradiction of Jesus' promise of, of John 16.33. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, Jesus says. That is a promise of God we don't really like. In this world, you will definitely have tribulation. You sometimes can't pray your way out of a trial and tribulation because it is God-ordained. Do we understand that? But as you're praying the will of the Father and say, Lord, you have me in this thing, but Lord, I believe that you can do X, Y, and Z. You can give me the comfort, the peace, the... the the ability to become a testimony to the lost in this, in this trial, in this season. That's praying according to the will of God and that he's able to do great things. Amen? We usually just want like, to get out of the trial. <laughs> well, we should be praying. Hey, there's nothing wrong with praying, Lord, I pray that you would remove this trial from me. But sometimes, even in obedience, like the disciples who got in the boat with Jesus to go across the other side, sometimes you encounter a storm. It wasn't a storm of disobedience like Jonah experienced from running the other way. <laughs> But it was a storm. And what was the point of the storm? To reveal that Jesus is who he says he is. Sometimes you'll pray to get out of the storm. And the Lord says, no, I have you in the storm for a reason. But you start praying that he's able to use you and do great things through that storm. Man, that is a good place to be. <laughs> but I've also seen people go, man, this is a storm I can't handle. And the Lord comes in and just removes it. And in that, he also, again, proves who he is. But we can't get mad if God doesn't work on our terms. <laughs> Again, this goes back to being like, oh good, Jesus is here. He's going to do whatever I want him to do. He's a miracle worker. No, he's also the suffering son of man who came to die. And he says, follow after me. Do we expect that our Lord and Master would suffer and we would not? But I will tell you this. If you lay down your life for Jesus' sake, you're going to find true life. And as you depend upon Jesus Christ, it, we're told, Jesus tells us in John 14, 13 through 14, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So here's the deal. Anything that will glorify God, the Lord will do it. Do you always know what best will glorify God in your life? <laughs> I don't. I like to think I know what would best glorify God. Probably a race car and a mansion, right? I could show everyone how I could stay humble with being really, really rich, right? The Lord's like, nope, you couldn't handle that, dude. So here I am, and you go, that's fine too. Do you know what? The Lord has never left me without what I need for every season. And everyone in here alive today can agree with that. Amen? <laughs> you all know this. There have been times when you said, I can't endure this. And guess what the Lord did? He, he carried you through that storm. <laughs> there have been other times you say, I can't endure this. And the Lord healed the situation. Whatever it is today, don't stop going to the Lord in Jesus' name and seeking his will. <laughs> and see, these disciples, they were like, man, this, is, this might be too hard for us. But Jesus 
shows up and says, man, if you believe all things, right? He says, all things are possible to him who believes. And I love that, the, the father again. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is acknowledging that he has faith, but his faith is somewhat lacking. That's a healthy place to be. That's why the Lord tends to work so mightily in our lives. When he says, you've come to me humbly, proclaim that I am God. And man, you know what Hebrews eleven six 6 says? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When we come in genuine, genuine humility and say, Lord, I'm seeking you because I can't do this on my own. I have no idea what's happening. I just want to glorify you in it in Jesus' name. <laughs> the Lord receives those prayers. And sometimes his remedy to the situation may not match ours. I think about Naaman, <laughs> 2 Kings 5. Naaman was this guy, right? Gentile dude, going out. He's like, I'll take anything. Go talk to Elisha, the man of God. They send a messenger, talk to Elisha. Elisha's like, tell Naaman to dip in the Jordan River seven times. He'll be healed of his leprosy that he's suffering from. The word comes back. Remember what Naaman says? Are you serious? That's way too easy. That seems nonsensical. No thanks. Like, maybe if he would have done something else. And, and there's someone there that tells him, like, hey, what if they would have told you to, like, do really absurd, ridiculously hard things? Would you have tried it? It's like, well, yeah, I would have done that. Well, then why are you not doing the simple things that he commands you, that the voice of the Lord has spoken through Elisha, saying, just come and be cleansed so that you can be healed of this leprosy, which, by the way, is always a picture of sin throughout Scripture often. And so Naaman says, how can I be cleansed of this? Obey the word of God. <laughs> Even though it seems crazy, and there's some doubt here, in my faith, I asked the man of God how to do it, but now my doubt's setting in. But he overcomes that doubt. He goes and dips in the river seven times, number of completion, <laughs> and he's healed of his leprosy. Now, I'm curious. Maybe the Lord has told you for something in this season where you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Test it with his word. <laughs> and in the spirit, continue to pray. And the Lord will reveal to you <laughs> if it is of him. And no matter how simple it may seem or how absurd it may seem, if it aligns with His Word and His Spirit, you are good to trust in the Lord. Amen? Wherever you may be this morning. <laughs> it's funny because I love the size of our church. I feel like I know a lot of you on a pretty good personal level. I don't want it to grow anymore. Stop telling people, okay? So, no, I'm just kidding. But I don't know, whatever. I like this intimate thing because when I look out here, I literally can look at faces and know the things you guys are either suffering or celebrating right now. <laughs> And I'll tell you, in this room, it's the full spectrum right now. There is celebration in this room, and there is absolute tribulation in this room. Can I tell you how cool it is that the Word of God, I preach it down the middle, and it hits every one of you where you're at? <laughs> I'm telling you to either continue to trust in the Lord on your mountaintop, or continue to seek the Lord in the valley. <laughs> He's the God of both, amen? <laughs> He's also the God of consistency in the middle. There's those, there's those weird places where we're like, I'm not suffering, I'm not doing great, I'm just going to coast. No, seek the Lord there too. <laughs> every moment you're alive, every moment you're awake, pray and seek Him for His will in whatever you're doing. And so look what happens here, 25 to 27. We see the deliverance that's going to occur here. It says, When Jesus saw the people, the crowd, came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. <laughs> Fresh eyes this morning, right? You didn't know Jesus was going to do that. Let's pretend we didn't know that was going to happen. 
This father's like, man, I'm, having, I'm just struggling to believe. I have some faith, but not all the way. And he says, Dan, if you can believe, all things can be possible. He says, help my unbelief. Jesus is so good to help our unbelief, amen? Jesus right here, he sees the crowd coming. I think this is great. He's like, oh, great. Another messianic frenzied crowd. More people that just want to like run to me for like all the wrong reasons, potentially. He says, I'm going to do this apart from the crowd before they get here. And he, he tells the spirit, it just the red words in there, deaf and dumb spirit. I command you to come out and don't ever come back into him again. The authority that is in the voice and the words of Jesus there absolutely show again that he is God the Son. <laughs> that he is the one that is going to absolutely destroy all satanic powers. And also that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 35, 5-6. It says that when the Messiah would come, he would actually open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, the tongue of the dumb. <laughs> See, in this case, the reason this child was unable to speak was because of a spirit that was in there. And as the Messiah, he shows up and says, out of him, you're done here. Though he's the suffering Messiah that's coming to die, he is proving that he's the one that's going to reign and rule over everything. And he says, get out right now. To the point to where there's this crazy moment where, I mean, the boy's convulsing. I don't know, if you're the dad, maybe you think Jesus is making this worse right now, right? <laughs> I think there's something to be said about that. Sometimes Jesus delivers us out of a trial. Like, oh, that, that can't be the answer, Lord. This is getting worse before it gets better. To where the people around are like, oh, that's good. Jesus just killed this kid. That's basically what they think, right? They're like, he's dead. Wow, like no one, what is happening here? But then Jesus goes over in verse 27. Again, what it says he does, he goes and he, he lifts the child up. He lifted him up by the hand and he arose. This gets us like almost like a flashback, right, to Mark 5, 41, when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. Everyone in the room was there having a funeral for the little girl. They're like, she's dead. He's like, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. They all laugh at him. And he says, get everyone out of the room. <laughs> if you don't want to believe in who I am, you're going to miss out on this great miracle. But when you have faith in who I am, you're going to see great things, Jesus would say. And right here, he takes the child. Everyone's like, he's dead. What kind of show is this we came today? We want a circus, but this is a little much, right? Jesus lifts him up and brings him back into life. I think it's incredible because there's no mention here. Like, well, what did the father do? <laughs> Can you even express in words the joy that the father knew in this moment? But be a roller coaster. Jesus may have just destroyed my child. Now he's alive and well. You probably can't even put into words the excitement that, that, that's there. The people in the crowd are just absolutely shocked at that point. <laughs> and then you have the disciples. <laughs> They're probably like, man, why couldn't we do that? We know that's what it is. It's going to be there in a minute. They're like, man, we, Jesus desired to heal this kid. And we, I guess, didn't think we could. We didn't think he was willing. We didn't think he was able. Can I tell you, when the church begins to think that God doesn't want to heal the lost out there, that's terrible. Remember, God is not long, he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, right? It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, he desires that all should come to repentance. That's not a message of universalism that all will, but he desires that all would. And see, he uses his church filled with his spirit, filled with his word, to be vessels filled with the glory of his radiant power. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 tells us that. And when we go out empowered by the spirit, filled with the word, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, 
man, awesome things are going to happen. New life is going to go to those that we thought were dead. <laughs> How many people in your life that you may be praying for, I hope this isn't the case today, but it happens. I pray that there's no one in your life that you're like, man, I got to stop praying for them because I just think they're never going to turn. Now, don't get me wrong. I know the Lord told, I believe it was Jeremiah at one point, like, hey, stop praying for them. They're not going to turn. But if you haven't gotten that word from the Lord, can I just encourage you to continue to pray for your family? <laughs> Pray for your friends. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for this community. Pray for those passing sick and ridiculous laws in our community <laughs> that they would turn and repent. And pray for those that do know the truth that they would be bold enough to step out and be witnesses of Jesus Christ to the lost in the community. How are they going to hear it? They need a preacher, as Romans 10, 15 says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... Let's do it. You guys got that one down. We've got to change it at some point. We've memorized it. Romans 10, 17. <laughs> the Word of God is what brings faith. If we don't take it out, now don't get me wrong, I really believe the Lord has ways of revealing Himself. But we are blessed to participate. <laughs> These disciples missed out on the opportunity to participate in the moment, but I love their hearts. Look what happens here in 28 and 29. It says, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. <laughs> I used to joke with my mom. My mom's like, why doesn't your brother come to the Lord? I'm like, that kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. You know, like I'm just, I like to mess around and kind of bust my brother's chops sometimes. But uh, <laughs> it's funny, we read this. You may have heard this verse before, right? This is a very famous verse. There's some things that takes such a dependence upon the Lord in everything. Don't just think of food when you hear fasting here. Fasting is seeking the Lord over all other things. And see, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, why in the world can we not do that? We believe that you're the Lord. We believe that you, 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 say who you are who you say you are. Why couldn't we do it? I love their hearts, first of all. They want to know why so that they can hopefully do it in the future. They didn't go, well, we failed. We're disqualified forever from ever doing anything for the Lord again. None of us would be in here ever serving the Lord again if we just said one time we, we bomb out, we're done, right? They come and say, man, I want to know how to do this rightly, Jesus. Allow me to serve you in the future. What things can I do to actually serve you well? How, where did we mess up here? That is a good, humble heart to come to Jesus and say, how did I mess things up this time, Lord? <laughs> and I love Jesus' heart. He says, let me tell you. <laughs> I'll teach you right now. He says, this kind here can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. What I think may have occurred here is we, have, we are told in Mark 6.13 that the disciples had cast out many demons. When you start doing things a lot, you start to get comfortable in them. When you start being successful at things in the Lord, you know what you can easily do? Autopilot. <laughs> You're like, I have a good system. Now, again, it's all rooted in God, but I have my system. It works well, and I'm going to organize things. I'm learning this today as I organize something totally different than what the Lord had here, right? It's good to be prepared. It's good to be, like, ready. Okay, I have systems. I have these things in place. But when I start relying upon my strength, my systems, my abilities, I start to, to fall away from depending upon the Lord, and see, these guys are like, why couldn't we do this? Jesus says, you didn't pray. You didn't fast. You weren't seeking me. You thought you could do this in yourself. <laughs> and can I tell you, there's nothing 
in the kingdom of God that you can do in your own strength. You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You brought sin to the party. That's what you did. <laughs> Jesus died for your sins. Amen? Amen? Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> you didn't. He did. And then he gives you his spirit. It's not yours. Then he gives you spiritual giftings. Like Ephesians 4 talks about this, I believe it is. We, right? we have different giftings that are there. When Corinthians talks about this, all these different spiritual gifts, talents, blessings that the Lord gives, not for your glory, but for His. But when you take His things and think, I'm going to use them in my way without including Him in it, can I tell you, you're going to bomb out. <laughs> you're going to fail. Part of the reason the church at large in the United States is failing is because we become like systematic. Systematic in the things of men. We've stopped seeking the Spirit of God. We've stopped praying and fasting to seek what the Lord would have for His church. And when we do that, we can fill up rooms. It's real easy to build a crowd, by the way. Pick whatever they like and talk about it. Pick whatever they hate and hate on it. Easy to fill up a room. When you start telling people that they're sinners, they need to repent. It's an offensive message, but can I tell you, it's a needed message. And when people receive it, through the power of the Spirit, man, great things begin to happen. God forbid we start relying upon our comforts, our things that we like to do. Man, there's so many times we're like, well, Chuck used to do this. Chuck was awesome. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's living active doing new things. What that's going to change? I don't know. Things that man made. It's not going to change the Word of God. It's not going to change the Spirit of God. We need to do some of the things that Chuck did, which is the right things. <laughs> but can I tell you that there's a new work to be done here? And if you think, man, I'm not, I'm not, I can't be part of it. I bombed out over here. Incorrect. Jesus uses people who have bombed out in the past. <laughs> Jesus uses people who might bomb out in the future. <laughs> who are you relying upon? If you're bombing out, can I tell you who you're not relying upon? Jesus Christ. We need to rely new and afresh today upon the Spirit according to the Word of God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to stop there. I had some more, but we're going to stop right there. <laughs> I believe that this is the takeaway today. That the Lord is faithful to deliver his people. <laughs> and we might think deliver means, okay, cool, you're going to rescue me from having to do things, having to be part of things. No, he delivers you so that you can go be a testimony to those that also need to be delivered. There's a lost world out there today. There are people that will come to church Sunday in, Sunday out and not have a true relationship with Jesus. Are we pouring into those people around us? <laughs> Are we allowing that uncomfortableness in the spirit when it says, hey, go pray for that person, go talk to that person? Are we, are we obeying that? Or are we so concerned with like, nah, God doesn't work that way with me. Man, rely upon the Lord, amen? Let's pray.